Right. All right. So it is January 16th, a cold, cold January 16th in Detroit, but we're back heating it up in Detroit is different podcast studios. I'm here with somebody very special. Uh, I knew him. Well, he actually kind of knew of me before I was even brought to this earth <laughs> to uh, take a breath. <laughs> this is my big cousin. Hey, uh, hey. Somebody that led me into a lot of this stuff I do technically with audio and everything. Lamumba Reynolds, how hey, are you? Hey, I'm doing well. And you? Oh, man. Everything is everything. So your story goes in a lot of different patterns, um, kind of tie into many different scenes, but coming back to a business, an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. um, and also father, uh, brother, uncle. Husband. Husband, yes, yeah. we do. I, we I say do. husband before I say father because when my wife says she's a mother and doesn't say wife first, I go, oh, so the kids are before me? Yes. But women actually think that way. Some men do too, but I'm actually trying to flip that paradigm. Yes, yes. He may have just got himself into hot water with that yes. statement. Yes, <laughs> So <laughs> I'm ready for it. And uh, many people know him as uh, Myra Reynolds' husband, <laughs> <laughs> Reverend Myra. Um <laughs> And Fellowship Chapel, uh, but a lot of other things. Mosaic Youth Theater, um, the DIA, so many different things. Black Bottom Collective, the list can go on and on. Plowshares, Playwright Company. um, I don't know. Your tale of the tape is long. But for me, it all started as DJR2. That's right. That's what I remember most. So when people ask me, like, you know, what was your first connection to hip hop and then music? It, a lot was just through you. You had all these different records, some of which I commandeered or inherited, <laughs> depending upon yeah, I what form that. of um, what form of of black. <laughs> <laughs> what, what vernacular were we, are we using? What, what black vernacular or vernacular? Exactly. Black vernacular, black vernacular. But uh, but he wasn't about to needle drop the heavy D and, uh, <laughs> and Grandmaster Flash anymore. <laughs> right. But one of my first hip hop records was uh, Run DMC, Run DMC, through you, um, and so much. But DJ R two, that was what I remember most. But what yes. led you into any interest into what was technical? All right. So I would have to give my mom. Uh, Shirley Walls, Big Ma, I have to give her a shout, and my father mm-hmm. and my dad. So I have a father, you know, biological father who was technical, brilliant kind of thing. But uh, my dad, which is my mom's second husband, or mm-hmm. actually third husband, he, she, the two of them together, they allowed me to do stuff to the stereo system, like take it apart. <laughs> and put it back together again. And he he was on the tech end as well. Uh-huh. So it's in the DNA. And mm-hmm. as a young person, I was allowed to to work on on equipment in the house, the the home stereo. I was allowed to take it apart and put it back together again. Mm-hmm. And and back in the day there was a store, there were several stores, but there was one store that was close to us called Olson's Electronics. And that uh that had the uh, they had equipment that allowed you to tinker. It was like Radio Shack today is not what it was then. Radio Shack you could you could tinker, you could do things. Now Radio Shack is mostly you know if you Radio if Shack you can is find, a cell phone store. Yeah, if you can that, find a Radio that's Shack, what Radio right? Shack is today. It has it has yeah exactly it has more complete items. But back in the day, you would tinker and put your own things together. All right, so mm-hmm. I was able to explore that 
at a young age. So as, you know, as early as, I don't know, maybe 10, maybe even earlier than 10 years old, I was able to do that. And I always had a love for music. We had a piano at the house. I took piano lessons. Mm -hmm. So music is also strong in my families. Mm -hmm. My dear playing the church organ to uh, my mom could sing. My dad could play piano, play bass, all this good stuff. All of these home influences, piano at the house, took piano lessons, even though I stopped taking piano lessons because I just didn't want to practice. Stop doing these things, but still allowing to tinker and put together, back in the day, a real mixtape was like you just record songs off the radio onto your cassette recorder. Yes. And you that would be your your mixtape because you just waited on the, wait until the song started on the radio and you you know hit the record button and go. Those mixtapes led to me having my own collection of music because mm-hmm. I didn't have as, a, as as the young person I was I didn't have enough music to enough money to buy my own records. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that led to a party for my mom's best friend, and it was it was 1975 ish. So that means I was probably 12 or 13 years old. Maybe I was 13. Mm-hmm. I think I was younger than that, but. That led to me being able to do a party for her uh, birthday at her house. So I'm a kid doing a party for grown folk. My first DJing job that I got paid for, even though I was doing some stuff up and down the street, like, you know, just bring your radio and play music and we just be on the porch jamming, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Paid for it. And then that one thing led to another. Miss Black Star pageant, the pageant my sister found it, and then I wound up co-directing with her or I should say co-producing with her because she was directed it. She made me her music uh, director. And it was a lot of needle drops. If, you, yes. if you've been to any black, cultural, culturally black event. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of needle drops, especially if it is involving teenagers. Yes. So, you know, it, it, it would be like, you know, I'm going to walk out to this. Right. And exactly. then when I get to this point, it should change to this. Right. And so, then when I get to that point, it should change to that. Right. So you're so you're like a band director. Yeah. The way a band director would do it now. But, you know, DJs, uh, mm-hmm. it was the DJ. I mean, I guess DJs still do it today. I'm not sure if if, if it's of the, of the same level, though. Oh, I know what it, it is the same level. Everything is pre-produced, though. Yeah. It's, it's a lot easier yeah. to. Because I still pre-produce. It's a lot easier to um, set up and and do what you were doing with Miss Black Star, which we're going to cover and get a little bit more into Miss Black Star because I want to bring in my other cousin, my other big cousin, who is your sister. Yes. And how that all came together. But I do remember vividly, like, you know, uh, uh, one of the contestants will walk out with Black Butterfly. And then after Black Butterfly, you know, let's hear it for the boys will come on. And then after that. Then it could be any myriad of, of yes. the jams that are out, yes. mixing them back and forth, mixing them live, mm-hmm. following the action. That was all great. As my, you know, good thing, a good thing, uh, an impressive thing, something that made an impression on me with the pageant. Mm-hmm. I got to give a shout out to Greg Frazier because he was tabulator mm-hmm. for for the Miss Black Star pageant, and and he and uh, Jam Frazier. So that's a shout out to my mom, my parents. That's right, exactly. Shout out to both your parents. The way they operated together as a team in score tabulation and software and uh, spreadsheet uh, formatting and spreadsheet writing programs to do the tabulations, mm-hmm. I picked up a lot from 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 that alone and mm-hmm. how I operate myself as a entrepreneur. 
Okay. And he actually encouraged me and taught me along the way. All right, so I'm jumping back now. Let's jump. Let's jump to Miss Black Star Patch and how I got involved with music and tech. So doing that led to me uh, doing those things, a party, the house party, and then the Miss Black Star Pageant. I eventually was able to save money, buy my own equipment. What was the first piece of equipment you bought? Probably a, a, a Radio Shack turntable. Okay. And maybe two. I don't think I bought one at a time. I bought two. And then a mixer from Olsen's Electronics, uh, probably, I don't know if Newmark was the, was the name of the brand. Okay. But I was able to le- do simple, well, do mixing from turntable to turntable. I'm not going to call it simple because the mixing back in the day, that was in, in depth. Okay. So I was able to do that. And, and, and then it was the thing of buying records. So I wasn't gigging every week, mm-hmm. but I would practice almost every day. Okay, and let me let me get a little technical for the person that's listening that's yes, never DJ. Okay. Oh yeah, that's right. So first off, uh the turntable everybody's familiar with as vinyl is making a heck of a comeback, period. Right. As right. Many vinyl manufacturers <clears throat> are opening up and people are dusting off those old machines right. and trying to find anywhere where right. you can press up a vinyl recording. Yes. Uh, especially in Europe, it's a lot of demand for American music that's in vinyl. Um my friend Sterling Toes has a record right now that's like being so massively in Toronto and in right, France. Right. Hamilton is available that, on vinyl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the musical yeah. Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. The music from Hamilton. Yeah, it's very it, It's uh what we think about viral uh, vinyl and and how it's caught on so much now. What happened before the DJ was so important was usually music was set up as you you would play the music and you know let things go bands were always the form of entertainment uh to this day a lot of band players still don't like people like you for being a dj taking away their gigs (laughs) but over time with hip-hop the 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 combination of using a mixer which Mm -hmm. was really the mixer was first just used as like an equalizer that's switch between like maybe one deck to the next deck so you right. want a cassette player or the a track to play right and then right. go back over to another record player right what hip what the ingenuity of hip-hop was like okay we're gonna put this mixer between both turntables and then we're either gonna extend the song right or we're gonna take one thing that's like the break beat the yep. break in the beat and extend that break beat extend that over section. and over right. and over and over again right. so people can just keep <clears throat> partying and dancing to that part Right. Or you can change the tempo. And all of this, a lot of credit goes to uh, Grandmaster Flash because he right. really, He's I guess a pioneer. you say, a, a pioneer of yeah. a lot of the turntablism techniques. Yep. But uh, this was all coming to life with, like, like you know, it, it was no handbook. It was no right. YouTube channel to watch. Right. You, you just right. heard Flash was doing this, and yep. it's like, oh, how do you do that? And then cool you would have to mm-hmm. figure out how to manipulate these mixers that were not really designed <laughs> right. to, to do what DJs were doing. Yes, correct. But that's what DJs ended up doing. Right. And, and you were one of those DJs. I was. I was. Now... In in the community, because New York had it first, they had it yes. for a few years, and it then, you know it went the wave went west, and once we got in Detroit, I mean we we did our own thing with it. Every community will do their own thing with it, mm-hmm. and you know some stuff comes out of Detroit and mm-hmm. goes out, like say techno house, the whole techno house movement mm-hmm. from Detroit and out, and other people do their own thing with it. But the good thing about uh, me and DJing is my music background, so piano. A little bit of trumpet, played a little bit of cornet when I was a kid. And having musicality 
in what you do and also having to be show minded. So let's say the Miss Black Star pageant, for instance, because that happened for 11 years straight, starting in 1980, or was it 1981? 11 years, and you have to you have to be cognizant of what you're doing for an audience that's sitting and watching a show, mm-hmm. as opposed to a DJ, a DJ for a party. Sometimes you can make things happen that aren't smooth, but people will just get, get back on beat. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's important to keep the beat, but having that music background and the show focus was was something that led to me saying, man, I, I like this DJing thing because, you know, I wound up doing a lot of house parties. Mm-hmm. Did a couple of parties on the Boblo Boat, if anybody knows what the Boblo Boat is. Boblo Boat is a fixture in Detroit culture. There you go. Right. It's the, it was the Detroit Princess is a new version of the Boblo Boat. Yes. But the Boblo Boat also had this extra feature in that you can go to an amusement park. Yeah, with a, with a pirate ship. And yeah, Basically, exactly. a lot of the, I guess... Uh, what would we say, like amusements or, or the rides that would be at most most county or state fairs? Yes, yes, you know? right. Just a step up from that, though, because they those the rides they did have a roller coaster. Yeah, the rides at Bablo though were kind of like permanent because it was on a little island. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so did the Bablo boat cruise? Did some gigs at Cobo Hall, which was you know mm-hmm. a, a big thing back in the day. Uh, so. I mean, it's still a big thing, I guess, today. Oh, yeah, yeah. But the access to Kobo wasn't for everybody. It definitely was and not for DJ. The DJ right. was a new element in music right. in the 80s. So, exactly. like, really, we're, we're so used to seeing <clears throat> DJs at weddings and right, at parties right, and right. at events. But in the 80s, the DJ was right, right. unprecedented. Like, exactly. right now, I would say the DJ is the main attraction for most Vegas events. But in the 80s... Right to see a DJ was like, okay, what 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 are they doing? Are they playing records? <laughs> right. Like like the whole right. you know heavy D says like you know not only did I have to explain I was a good rapper, I had to explain that rap was worth listening to. So the DJ right. as a performer right. had right. to explain like okay, so why don't I just you know hook up a jukebox? Right, right, exactly. You had the the value of a DJ, yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. and it, it became evident. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, and DJs became a part of the whole you know the band for hip hop. Yes. So you have, like you mentioned, Run DMC. You had Jam Master J. Mm. And back in Run DMC, you Rest had, in peace, J. Right, Master there you go. Jay. Right, yep. Ashe. <laughs> yes, yes. You, you had several DJs that are, that are too many to name. Um, but in in doing that, having those gigs, and, and, and then I said, you know what? I can't buy records every week. So I formed, that was my first, my first entrepreneurial pursuit that I remember that I initiated was forming uh, an, a group of DJs. Mm-hmm. They didn't have equipment. I had equipment. I'm like, okay. So what we do is we pull our resources. I'll teach you all how to DJ, how to, how to what they call now beat match, but just basically how to be on beat mm-hmm. with your music. Which a lot of DJs still learn that, but continue. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then hold on, beat matching today is like a little counter. We'll show you. 120 beats per minute yes and, and give you a list of songs yes that make it easy for you to go oh let me use this song next but back then we had to have a lot of stuff in our brain and in our in our soul we had to feel what, what song should come next mm-hmm. all right so i pulled it together and like they would use their allowances because you know we're still basically high school kids use their allowances together we would buy music got out you know crate it up put it in the crates practice and get more gigs high school dances all of that led me to go, man, I should, you know, I should either do one or two things. 
I should either uh, join the uh, Air Force. My dad was uh, a Green Beret. That's, that's the Army, but, you know, he's in the military. Join the Air Force because I like the tech and the idea of flying a plane mm-hmm. in the 80s. Or after I saw a commercial for this school where you can learn how to be a DJ on the radio, I could do that. And fortunately, I saw that radio that commercial for a, a school where you can learn how to be a DJ on the radio. Mm-hmm. I saw that before the recruiter could sign me up for the Air Force. Mm. I never even knew this story. Yeah, and that school, the Specs Howard School of Broadcast Arts, where they taught then just radio and TV and radio engineering. You know, mm. t- and TV was like a side course. Mm-hmm. And I went to that school, learned how to DJ, learn how to be on the air, you know, mic technique, the whole thing, how to operate a console, how to do your radio breaks, everything. I mean, how to do your commercial breaks, announce records, how to write copy, how to write a script, how to write commercials, how to sell commercials, even they tell you a little bit how to sell commercials. And they also, they make you take the TV course toward the, towards the end, basically, because they knew TV was, you know, the up and coming thing in the 80s. They knew, you know, we can train more people to do TV learn how to do television and i was like oh goodness i like this even better than i like uh radio radio or as much not better i mm-hmm. like it as much and wound up getting my first job at uh first got an internship at channel 62 mm-hmm. which was a uh, black owned the first black owned tv and radio station in the nation got a got an internship there not paid you come in uh three times a week Help do this show. One day, Dave doesn't show up. Uh, I forgot his last name. He doesn't show up to do his job. Me and my buddy uh, Andre Holland, we're there as the interns. We've been doing it for a couple of months. We always would sit down in the big chair and practice and see what we could do. This guy wasn't around to direct. The host, Fred Merrill, he was like, okay, uh, Dave's not here. Dave's not coming. You guys will have it from now on. And he said, uh, you... And Andre, you alternate director and sound. And boom, had my first paid job, Channel 62. They also had the radio station. So we met and, and hung out with uh, Billy T in the DMZ mm-hmm. because, they, you know, it was like in the same building. And he used to let us come hang out and be on the radio with him. So I got to do my radio thing and the TV thing and get paid for it. Actually, the radio thing wasn't paid, but I was getting paid to do TV I was there all day doing that, and that led to me eventually, I'll I'll skip the places in between, even though I want to give a shout out to Black-owned cable company, Bard and Cablevision, because when they started, they wanted to get some local origination programming, so they hired a bunch of us from around the community to produce local TV shows, which was great for me. I produced one uh, that I'm very proud of uh, with Charlene Mitchell, who's from Hmm. Channel 7 fame Mm -hmm. at Bard and Cablevision. And then a couple other things, Reynolds Communications, meaning a phone company that my uh, uncle owned. He had a contract with DPS. Uh, led me to eventually working with Gerald McBride for, for, I don't know, almost a decade, producing radio commercials and TV commercials with him. And in 2000, I'm like, okay, it's time for me to go solo. So in 2000, Studio Lumumba was born with uh, me starting at a small recording studio and eventually thanks to a loan from Jan Frazier, 
to get my own multi-track recorder. I was able to do things at my own home, which, which you know, our, our studio space grew from there. And that is where I am today, having clients nationally, internationally, internationally, and having the ability now to do video, photography, and radio. Hopefully I answered the question. Did you I answer? answered the question, answer. gave so much. Great. It, and it's like the NWA movie, like I say, it's like, it's so much to like unpack every step of the way, mm-hmm. just knowing you and what I witnessed along the way. But I do want to highlight for everybody, opportunity presents itself. And not only is the preparation just being prepared as far as having the knowledge base, but also energetically being ready to accept whatever that form of success is. I believe a lot of people have not accepted energetically what success will be and we'll naturally put obstacles in our own way. We'll put hurdles in our own life. Right. You know, I've done it, many people have, but when you and Andre were there and you still have such a strong friendship and kinship with Andre business relationship, you all seized the moment right, right there and didn't freeze up because in your mind you were already walking down that road. You were caught in that moment Right. Before you were even there, just doing what it took to know what you need to do yes. instead of just stopping at what you were being told to do. Right. It was right. like a passion that existed. So right. not only were you ready, you were ready in thought, mind, spirit and body. Yes. And you delivered and you had creativity oozing from your mind yes. of like how to go about it. So it was right. like we should hire these guys a long time ago. Right. You know, and right. for the guy, Dave. Cause it's a lot of Dave's out there. <laughs> you need to know, even in a market like Detroit, where yes. people talk about the scarcity of talent and skill, right, right? There are some young, hungry lions ready to pounce on opportunity. Exactly. So exactly. you have to love what you do because if you don't, then those young, hungry lions, yes, they're gonna get to the watering hole faster. Exactly. They're gonna get all of the gazelles. They're gonna get all the wildebeest, <laughs> and you're gonna be sitting saying, Damn. right, you know, talking about what shoulda, woulda, coulda, complained. Right. And they're entry level, so they don't mind coming in at a lower uh, at a lower pay. rate. Maybe not even rate because so much of it is learning. It's right. not it, it's the opportunity to learn, to exactly. touch it, because to be in a space to know in those networks that grew from years. I mean, who would have known that you and man it's it, older than most people that you're working with. That relationship that started right there and the seeds in the grounds of some of the people you've worked with for years, right. decades long relationships. Yes. Just from having a passion for what you love to do. Yep. You know. And I'm fortunate in that I have not done anything as an adult. I have not done any work as an adult, except in the arts. Hmm. Except in the arts. With one exception, while I was in Specs Howard, I needed extra money, so I worked at Burger King, uh, McDonald's. Okay. I worked at McDonald's. Shout out to Ron Moten, because he gave me, a, gave me a job at McDonald's while I was in school. He hmm. flexed my hours so I could still you know, do that. And working there let me know that I wanted to do the arts. Because yes. work, working at fast food ain't yes. easy. It wasn't working easy. At a, working at a Detroit McDonald's is definitely, uh, it, you will learn a lot of life lessons <laughs> about the patience of our people. There you go. <laughs> right. And I was a cook. I didn't even, I didn't even have to interact with, with the customer. <laughs> Man, you, wa- you watch some videos. You, you can watch videos today of people uh, upset. 
at at, uh, yes. at the drive-thru upset of yes. walking in. It's like, yes. oh man. Yes, yeah. I've, I've I've had a crack at a couple different fat Pizza Hut, Burger King, Taco Bell. I, I've, you worked at that many. I've run I've run the gambit. I've run the gambit. Okay, I'm I'm in FICA. I'm in FICA. <laughs> I, I definitely. <laughs> I'm in the mix. That's a good way to say I'm in FICA on that. I'm in the mix, but um, yeah, having pursuing something artistic in the city of Detroit is. You know, as people say, it's like, how do you how do you conquer a mountain? It can be like that at times. Right. And you will end up connected to some of these other energetic spirits as like one of the spirits you ended up connecting with is your partner in life, your wife. There you go. You know, through somebody that I didn't even know until you, you shared with me. Right. Somebody that was sitting in that chair not too long ago. Butch Small. Oh, World yeah, one yeah, Records. yeah. World One Records. Yes. You. Directed a lot of those. And yeah, I had I had a few of those, few of their videos I directed, and mm-hmm. and I'm gonna interrupt you just because I, I love I love this story. Hopefully, I can share this story with everyone. Okay. So you know, had the opportunity when Barton, I gave that shout out to Barton Cable. We produced a whole lot of videos at Barton Cable at one time. Now I was still I was a director already when I started at Barton, mm-hmm. but I had not had the opportunity to direct film. And I had not the opportunity to direct a single camera shoot. So just one film camera, uh, doing a music video, different areas, different scenes. So in that day, I was able to assist, I was able to edit all of these videos and be assistant director on all of them, on most of them. Mm -hmm. The one that got me the most- uh, uh, Attention. Fame, attention, was was AWOL's video. Mm -hmm. Uh, You don't want none of this, I think, is is it AWOL? That sounds like an A wall title. Yeah, <laughs> and that be, I'm at the very end of that video with a clapboard, uh-huh. and that led to me doing videos for World One Records because they was like, "Who's the guy who did that video? I want the one who did that A wall video." They hired me, and we needed a choreographer for this video we were doing for Dice, mm-hmm. artist named Dice, and my wife, or, well, this woman, they said, "Okay." Uh, we have a woman who we we know is a good choreographer. We need you to interview her, see if she's good for the job. So she gave me a resume. I interviewed her, uh, and I was like asking all kind of questions on the resume because I was like really digging her. Mm-hmm. And I, but I stuck to the resume. But she had a lot oh. of stuff on the resume. It's so, like it's like you gonna get a me too from uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. No, I was professional, totally professional. I'm looking at the camera now, totally professional. <laughs> I asked questions that were only on the resume. So that was open. And I was like, man, this is the one. And she was mm-hmm. like the answer to a prayer. Uh, so I waited until the last, until the wrap, because we had finished doing all the shoot. Mm-hmm. I waited until the wrap. We had a dinner at a downtown restaurant, meaning everybody in the crew. Mm-hmm. We had a wrap dinner. And afterwards, I was like, you know, I want to get to know you better kind of thing. Okay. And, and that's that's how it blossomed. But I waited. I was professionalism i was pro we've been together for 25 plus years now we've been married for 24 we look going to 25 but you know we met well we i guess may of 92 Mm. is when you know i can say we officially started talking Hmm. may 1st of 92 ain't that something still Still in the urban vernacular of talking. Talking is uh, what. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Break that. What out. some people may call courting. Courting, yes, courting. 
nowadays. <laughs> what are they using the that man now? Man versus the the woman's definition. Ain't no telling what talking right. could be. Exactly. <laughs> We talking. We talking, right? <laughs> oh man, that's something. I didn't even think about that vernacular. But um, but this is all like something else that I find so unique when we think about entrepreneurship, uh, black business in the city of Detroit, and so much of what was happening with World One and how that launched and how many people it connected mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. opportunity mm-hmm. for it to become real mm-hmm. uh, and. Then the, all the all the 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 hip hop scene in Detroit, like mm-hmm. in the late eighties, early nineties, like what right. was existing? What what were some of those places and spaces? Just just share, and what was it like to see something seem like okay, this is becoming real? Is right now it's a lot of attention around the deciphered exhibit at DIA, right? But a lot of these people, it was such a close knit community from right. everything I hear about. Exactly. You so know. It, it was, and you know the. The community of hip hop world or nationwide, at least, mm-hmm. all had an an element of <clears throat> element of okay, we're we know this is new. We know we're doing something new, and we're we're self determined at a at a degree because there's no playbook or the playbook that let's say a Barry Gordy playbook or you know any record industry playbook. Mm-hmm. We're sort of defying it because we have our own sound and whatnot, but, and some of us are producing it and selling it ourselves, meaning, you know, the hip hop artists producing mm-hmm. and selling it ourselves. Some of us are using s- just smaller or a small business. We're connecting with small business, like World One Records is an example of connecting with small businesses. Mm-hmm. Those, are, those are people who actually have industry experience, but don't necessarily need to have a contract with, uh, Warner or any of the big, you know, back then I was probably the big six record companies in order to get something off the ground, they can start it and, and, and build it local, then regional and then nationally. So the uh, the names are just, you know, a myriad of names. Uh, we, we already named. So let's name some of the world one record uh, artists. Chaos and Maestro, mm-hmm. Dice, Ebony, who I'm working with now on a project. Ain't that so. Uh, and... I can't think of any. Oh, DJ DJ Los and Easy B. I think is the way they yep. said it. Yeah, that's yep. the way they used DJ Los and Easy B. Uh, so jumping over to AWOL, man, I can't. Let me think. I'm 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 trying to think of more artists that I. I mean, you had Merciless Samir, uh, Awesome, awesome Dre, in the Hardcore Committee. Har- yeah, exactly. Hardcore Committee. Yes, what a day. So. And then obviously like Detroit's most wanted. Detroit's like, most wanted, yeah. Smiley. Mm-hmm. Uh but I'm not friendly, that was a jam. Man, it's it's more. I cannot think of it. I need to walk at the exhibit and, and look and see how I see names. Oh yeah, that person, that person. But the cool thing was e- even some you know, a lot of it was legitimate business. A lot of it was, yeah, the business may have been funded by some other source. It could have been somebody's retirement, somebody worked at the one of the big three. Mm-hmm. They have some money to put in, and some of it could have been funded by uh, street money. By street money, yes, that is a, yes. that is an excellent street, way of saying it. Street money, street money. But mm-hmm. it, it gave um, me a vehicle and an opportunity to to grow as an artist, mm-hmm. and it was it was a huge boom for uh, entrepreneurship in in the hip hop way. You know? And then an opportunity to direct and to yes. get the chance to work on equipment. To, yes, uh, exactly. Because R.J. Watkins, in his whole spot, 
his spot wound up blowing up even bigger once once WGPR uh, put an end to the scene. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. And then had a show called uh, Contempo. And then RJ said, well, I'm going to start my own dance show. And he called it The New Dance Show. Yeah. And I wound up, after Contempo went out of uh, business, or, you know, that show was canceled, I wound up working with The New Dance Show. Yeah. Where I directed more videos. Not, single not, camera video. I do have a New Dance Show question. As I interviewed Henry <laughs> Tyler, and he gave like, a, long, a long spiel on it all. He was saying that the line to be a dancer on The New Dance Show would be, like, wrapped around the building. <laughs> Yes. So there was no shortage of available people to dance on, on there the was dance no shows. There was no shortage. <laughs> there was no shortage. And I'm not even sure how they decided, you know, because my call time would be, you know, a couple of hours before mm-hmm. uh, the line would start for people to come in. Uh-huh. I know they would, you know, shift, you know, we would tape three shows uh, mm-hmm. at one time. So it would be a thing where you would say, all right, you can come for the second show. So you have to wait, you know, roughly an hour until we finish taping this show. I knew that was maybe one way of of, uh, doing it. But it was our own version of Soul Train, which is the new dance show, you know, Mm -hmm. the contempo and the scene, all versions of our own of of Soul Train. And Soul Train was a version of American Bandstand. Mm -hmm. And having that opportunity, because in those throughout that, uh, relationship, those shows, those three shows, I met a ton of national artists. I met, and not just uh, uh, R&B artists, I met like Joe Sample, jazz artists, you know. Mm. I met, we even met actors because they, you know, sometimes on the shows, on our shows, we would have famous actors. I met, met Philip Michael Thomas, Tubbs from Miami Vice. Mm. Uh, and all of that helped me, help ground me as to, you know, not be starstruck because I had to be professional. Yep. And my interaction with them, you know, I may, be, may have been directing or the, the floor director or floor manager or camera operator, whatever job I was doing, I had to make sure I was professional. And it was like, okay, treat your job like a job. Mm-hmm. And that's another shout back to WGPR and having that vehicle for all of us to learn because RJ and Nat Morris learned and, and got their feet wet through that WGPR situation, which was uh, owned by the uh, Masons. Mm-hmm. Uh black owned institution entrepreneuring in their own way and getting yeah. us all to the you know entrepreneurial spirit that we have now you know entrepreneurship is nothing new for black folk no nah. but you got to give a shout out for each each step each generation each. yeah exactly and then as <clears throat> incarnation uh, the industry changes and new technology presents itself mm-hmm. uh, younger people need access to how do they get to this right. equipment right and know that you know we're going to use it and you're going to learn how and we're going to create something yes and that something is going to be a lucrative engine right where we can sustain more opportunities for our families our friends and exactly. the people we're connected to so with that we transition now i'm going to kind of speed up okay and speed up to today okay now you do a lot of different things, and it, it, the roots were started there, but a lot of your clients are, I would say, retainer-based. They they rely upon you for anything audio, visual, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> now a lot of internet services, mm-hmm. and stretching into marketing and mm-hmm. things like that. What's, as, a, as an artist yourself, how do you balance taking on your client load and then staying creative yourself? What do you do? So the actually I have new uh, information on how 
I am running that end of the business. What I found is you have to remember that you're a business, that you're creative, and that you have to wear both hats sometimes at one at a time, sometimes one hat at a time. When I first started, I was working for other folks. So my mindset was, okay, I need to, you know, build this amount, the hourly rate that I would have been working with someone else. But as a business owner, you have to remember to build for, uh, make yourself build in a manner that you can do equipment upgrade, uh, equipment maintenance, Taxes, boy, oh boy, taxes. Uh, Social Security is part of the tax uh, and and FICA. Taxes. Make sure that you can professionally develop yourself. So leave yourself enough payment and enough room so that you can grow, take care of the artistic side, professionally develop the artistic side, and, you know, develop your business sense. So all of these aspects of making sure you are in the right uh, frame of mind for the task at hand. Like you're gonna be creative all the time. If you're in this, you are creative in the jumps from the drum. Be, be disciplined enough to do your creative and be disciplined enough to do your business. You know, I've, a lot of musicians you've heard over the years say music business, half of that is music, half of that is business. It's actually probably uh, a, a swing where sometimes it's like, okay, this this day is like ninety percent business and ten percent music or creative. Yeah, and, I would say you know one of one of the best phrases was, the "Music business ain't got nothing to do with music that I've heard." <laughs> so, <laughs> I can I can buy that. It, I can buy that. Uh, the packaging of it and messaging and marketing, but right. that's unique. So being creative and staying in that zone because that's really what brought you there. I mean, right. you're still the 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 kid tinkering, taking apart the stereo. Yes. It's still there. Yes. You know, so so yes. how are you tinkering nowadays? What what are you what are you excited about? What keeps your muse going? What makes it beyond, you know, thinking about paying social security taxes right. and stuff like that because that the kid was definitely not doing that. <laughs> right. So you have to challenge challenge yourself so i have a few challenges one i'm gonna say is is a specific task in photography i challenge myself to do uh before it was photography i would have specific challenges i would want to do in music mm -hmm. and and then orchestral music and, and i wanted to learn well how does how how do you arrange and orchestrate for you know, 50 musicians. Mm. And thanks to technology, I was able to, you know, f have access to an orchestra, you know, a, a MIDI synthesized orchestra, but, mm -hmm. or sampled orchestra, but an orchestra nonetheless. Went to the library. This is, you know, in the days before the internet. Went to the library, get books on orchestration, and then practice and write that. That was like a muse. I got jobs from that. Uh, mm. a, a long running musical. And wait, let's stop right there. Okay, too. go as one of the things I think I do, and it actually is the best way I get any business. It's 
having the passion to do something creative, mm -hmm. people see it, mm -hmm. and then they really kind of want to connect to that energy. Yes. Not saying necessarily that whatever was created is not of value or of substance, but as much as that's of value, I think they like connecting to the whole incubation of it like yes. like the birthing of it. that's it. like a baby being born it's like wow like yep. how did you do that you and then from there it it sets up for a better client because yes. then the client's like i really want you to replicate what you just did right as opposed to right. looking at it from like okay what's the market buying and do i do that and right. how do i do that like yep. that's the toughest client to try to get for and, me and and you you just i was going to give an example of something that you just uh verified so uh, a long-running musical in Detroit history is called Perilous Times. T.J. Mm -hmm. Hemphill's a writer. He heard some of my orchestrations on something different, and he said, well, what can you do with this song? And he gave me a song, and I just like, oh, man, this is great. He had this uh, uh, simple theme, not that it was like not good, but it was a simple theme, and I was able to just expand it and blow the doors off of it mm -hmm. and gave it back to him, and he's used it in every year since. That arrangement. I'm not sure if you're using it t today, but you know, for several years after, mm -hmm. and it was like, man, just because I I had a, a a challenge to myself, how do you learn how to write for orchestras, mm -hmm. arrange and write for orchestras? I got a job from that. Yeah, and and it paid. You know, so so for mm -hmm. the creative listening and really any form of entrepreneurship is creativity. Uh, I would urge of you to not always say to yourself, "I need to do something to get paid," because some of the best moments where you will get paid will be birthed from the yes. times that you right. really had a passion to do what you wanted to do exactly. in the first place. Exactly. As opposed to thinking, yo, if I ain't got this paper coming in the door, and it's tough. Right. It's tough. I, I Last year was my best year in business, but what I'm starting to learn is needing $100 is just as hectic as needing $1,000 and this tactic is needing $10,000. And I'm not to the point where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm tossing around $100,000, but I'm sure I'll get to that hurdle too. Right. It's all the right. same. It's yeah. all relative to where you're at. And you have to continue to have the focus of like, okay, I did not get started in this to pay off these debts. I got started <laughs> in this because this is something I love to do. Right, right. And have that presence of mind. Right. And then photography challenges. I said, ooh, I want to mm -hmm. see if I can light this, you know, a certain way and get a look mm -hmm. got that look people saw it boom i got hired to do that look you know mm. or or people want to include that look in a package that was the photography end. and i just started actually photography was just an outreach of me saying you know what my dad uh has great pictures of us on a slideshow no we're not taking pictures like that this was before cell phones i was mm -hmm. like let me just get a camera for father's day i asked him give me for father's day get me a camera that wound up growing into, you know, you know a little bit about photography if you know videography. True. It, it translates very well. They, they intertwine very well. But there's a different, uh, there are a lot of different uh, applications to the techniques. Mm -hmm. So anyway, learning photography and now that blossomed into, you know, me having a steady photography client. Uh, and then my newest challenge, I've done many short films, many micro films. That's really, really short, you know, like commercials length, like 30, 90 seconds. Uh, I've done a short film, uh, 10, 13 minutes. Now I'm working on something I'm writing myself, and that's the project I'm working with uh, Ebony. I've written, actually, uh, with uh, Ebony from World One Records. Mm -hmm. 
is a, a feature length film. Hmm. And it has spoken word. I've written a lot of the spoken word, but I wanted, or I've written a lot of spoken word for it, but I wanted to actually have a spoken word artist who does it all the time co-write that aspect of it. So I've left blank spots for her to fill in the blanks. Cool. And that's a, a project that the challenge of it also is it's a vehicle where dance and spoken word are telling the story. And I've done dance videos, dance, dance uh, long form videos for dance concerts, and I've done uh, shorts. And my wife's a choreographer, so I've definitely interacted, and that's how we met, interacted with dance, the dance community a lot. And now this is something that I'm, I just want to do as a feature length film that I want to you know, have as a springboard for more. Because all during the last strong for the last 13 years but even before that i've always shared my knowledge and mentored young uh up-and-coming artists because rj watkins mentored me mm-hmm. in his own way henry tyler too mm-hmm. there were things that i taught them because i had you know i had trained i was trained uh educated in uh television arts but there was a lot that they taught me along the way so same thing i'm just reaching making sure I'm always reaching back and teaching young folk the same deal. I have, I have like Space Monkeys is a, a, a group, a uh, local business of three young men are the owners that I taught them. Yep. And and they're moving to another level with it. Oh, true, true. So the movie is a springboard for me to start that also that sort of academy type teaching. And it's a, a muse project for me. I love it. I love it. How do people get in contact with you? Info at studiolamumba.com. I-N-F-O at studio, S-T-U-D-I-O, Lamumba, L-U-M-U-M-B-A.com. Email is the best way to reach me. Uh, I will give you my number, but it's like, if you text me, I'm not going to answer text messages. I really don't answer text messages like, like I do answer email. When I sit down at my desk, I don't sit down and look at text messages. I sit down and look at email. So anyway... And, and text messaging is too distracting for me now. That's how I, I got to be focused on who, whichever client is paying me. And mm-hmm. text messages takes me takes me out of that. Mm-hmm. So actually, I turn my notifications off. So anyway, email is the best way to reach me. And uh, I'll holler back. All right. So with that, I'm going to ask some classic Detroit is different questions. Okay. So the very first thing is, what was your very first car? What year did you get it? And where did you go when you first got it? (laughs) So my first car was a brown. Wait a minute. I have to make sure I get this right. Was it the brown Dodge Omni or was it Uncle Joe's uh, 70-something Cadillac? Or was it the one from Earl Scheib? All right. Man, this this is something I should know because we had some used cars in our house. Okay. Uh, that you know you could drive and, and and own own, but which one? No, you know what? I'm gonna go for my first new car. Okay, all right. Because I I had the pleasure of owning a new car, a Ford Festiva. Okay, I've and, I can't even uh, <laughs> tell you when the Festiva stopped. 
<laughs> Poor Festy, man. Coming off the lot. In about 80-something, late 80s. And the, okay. And it had only thir- color? 13 miles on it. It was silver. A silver Ford Festiva. Okay. And I was able to drive around. Uh, I probably went to Bella. That's probably the first thing I did. Bella. <laughs> that's a good first place to go. How long did you keep it? Man, that sucker, until it died. So <laughs> it feels like 10 years, but let me see. If it was the late 80s. Uh, I had it for at least five years, and it wasn't until it died. I had it for at least five years. More, more power to, uh, more power to our four manufacturers. <laughs> right there, we go. <laughs> so, all right, first new car. Second, after fireworks, and you're in the middle of Jefferson and Woodward. You're the DJ. You get to play three songs for Detroit. What three songs are you playing? Well, you got to play Cool in the Gang, Celebrate. Okay. If, I mean, okay, you got to look at the crowd, too. Okay, I, so, this is this so, is all all yeah. hypothetical scenarios. Yeah, yeah, so I'm saying. You look at the crowd, you have to have these three songs ready. You have to have Celebrate by Cool in the Gang. You have to have Sammy Davis Jr.'s Hello Detroit ready. Okay. Right? And if, if you, you know, you got to have sort of like some some... Dancing in the streets of Martha and the Vandellas dancing in the streets. Uh, that's that's three songs, right? Yep. Those three ready. You know, there's two of those are Detroit favorites. Uh, one is uh, you know, Cool in the Gang is just celebrate. And you have to have something this this straight up hip hop. How old am I? I'm, this is like today. This is today. Oh, today? Oh man, you today? Man, you gotta have some. You gotta have some Beyonce, really. Okay, so wait. The uh, list is the list is ever changing right now. <laughs> So it's going to all the single see, ladies. Cause see, right? I don't. Sammy, Sammy gets bumped. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh man, see, I Sammy don't. Sammy getting bumped for lemonade. Ain't that some, some house? Ugh. Dude, I'm just gonna actually. I'm gonna back it up and go with those other three. Cause the fireworks crowd is is a is a broad range. Okay, so you're not range. going guilty pleasure, DJ. You're going. I'm, you're rocking for the house. I'm going. I'm going with those three. That celebration. Hello, Detroit, and uh, uh, Dancing in the Streets. I am wondering what tempo and timestamp you're using to mix all three of those, <laughs> but I'm sure you'll feel <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you oh, will figure goodness. it out. Uh, and the last question, if you could rename D- Woodward after one Detroiter, who would it be and why? Oh, Young. Coleman Young because of his... His... Um, his grit, mm-hmm. meaning he was really ready to get in and work hard to make change in a city that was resistant to change. And in, in particular, just the, di- the diversification of the police force and the fire department mm-hmm. to make sure it represented the community. I would want to give Woodward Young's name. Young Avenue. There we go. Thank you so much. You're much welcome.